Welcome to the Barley Hopper Podcast, where we talk about beer, business, and the business of beer. My name is Carl Weaver, and I'll be your host. Do you want your beer opinions featured on this podcast? Find us on anchor.fm and leave us a voice message. Maybe you'll hear your own voice here on this podcast. And maybe I'll spout off about whatever you have to say, too. So please come join us. Be part of the conversation. It's February 28th, and I'm sitting here drinking a Colossal 10 or Colossal X, depending on how you interpret the X. It's by Port City Brewing Company in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia. It's a barley wine. And reading from the bottle, uh, it says it's 11.2% alcohol. The color is bright copper, and it's 12 ounces. It's a, it's very tasty. If you like barley wines, this is a good one to seek out. And in fact, uh, Port City is a great brewery to seek out in general. They have uh, excellent uh, traditional European lagers, and uh, they have some ales. Obviously, this is an ale. Uh, and just fantastic work. They, I, I feel very lucky because they're right down the road from me. They're about two miles away. So I could rather easily walk down there and then, you know, get an Uber back if I'm feeling lazy. And it's only going to cost a few bucks. And they do have outdoor seating and um, you know, takeout service too. So if you're in the area in Alexandria, look them up. If you're in uh, some other area in Virginia, chances are you can get their beer. Uh, I don't know how far they are distributed, but I have seen them. Uh, quite a distance from here, just in the supermarket. So go check them out. Today in beer news, the Brewers Association recognizes four new beer styles in its 2021 style guidelines. And this article, all the articles I'm going to talk about are linked in the show notes, so check those out. Here's the headline, or the uh, quick uh, abbreviation, rather, of the story. Four new styles of beer have officially been added to this year's style guide for the Brewers Association, a trade group for independent brewers. Among them are the New Zealand-style pale ale, New Zealand-style India pale ale, Kentucky common beer, and Belgian-style session ale. The reason I, I chose this article is because it's just interesting to see how the industry is developing. You know, there's a uh, there's a lot of change all the time in the beer industry, especially now. You know, recently, we saw sours come about in the last several years, and um, you know we've of course seen seltzers, uh, most of which again taste like chemicals and shame. But there are some really decent ones out there, and now this new styles of uh, what most of us would call regular beer, and I. I think it's fascinating to see how people are changing how they do things. They're using these really cool New Zealand hops. They're sourcing ingredients from different areas and they're changing their brewing methods. And to me, that's just a, um, that's a fascinating part of what's going on in the industry right now. Here's another interesting story. The headline is workers accuse platform beer company of unsafe conditions at Columbus tap room during pandemic. So the abbreviation of this story here, what happened is platform beer company. Apparently we're a bunch of dicks 
to their employees and had unsafe working practices uh, during the pandemic, which you probably already figured out from the headline. And uh, the employees, this is the really cool part, the employees decided en masse to say, screw you, and they up and walked out. And they left a note on the door saying the place is closed, uh, find some other place to drink beer. And the, um, the management, of course, the follow-up to that is the management has issued a, uh, a statement saying, we're going, we promise to do better, we promise to listen to employees, we're going to have better communications with employees so that they can alert us of, you know, to, uh, to unsafe practices, which they, they already knew about, of course. People have told them about it. It's not new to them, but it sort of reeks of that's, I don't know if you had this uh, happen when you were a child, but I remember many times my brother and I would get in a fight and my mom would say, apologize to your brother. And I'd say, or he would say, you know what? It was always him. I was a good child. Let me tell you what. He would say, I'm sorry. Or I would, honestly. And uh, mom would say, say it like you mean it. And you'd have to say, I'm sorry. And that's sort of what's going on here. You don't have to mean it. You have to say it like you mean it. And I suspect nothing's going to change in the long run with this company. This is the business uh, lesson for the day. You know, if you treat your employees like crap, they're going to leave you and they're going to find someplace better to work. And if you apologize and promise to make changes, you damned well better do that. You damned well better make those changes. You know, especially right now. See, I'm getting worked up now. Um, but, you know... If you're going to put people's, what you're doing here right now is putting people's lives at risk. It's, it's not like you're inconveniencing them. You're not asking them to work late. You're not asking them to uh, take on extra shifts or maybe sacrifice some of their time somehow. Um, you know, I remember one job I had, uh, they didn't give me enough hours. You know, so it wasn't a good fit for me. You know, it's, we're not talking about that sort of stuff here. We're talking about... Uh, risking people's lives so you can sell more beer. And, and I totally get it. I get it. When you're a business owner, that's your livelihood. And employees, paying employees is a uh, is an expense, right? But, it, but you have to look at it as an investment. Your employees are an investment. You have to pay them, sure, and that's an expense. But what you get out of that is great work. And if you pay them well and you treat them well, they're going to work for you and they're going to do good work. You, it's really a case of having to respect people. And this uh, management team has so far demonstrated that that's not what they want to do. So I suspect we're going to hear more about this in the maybe the next few weeks or so. The next story, the headline. This San Diego distillery makes vodka from unwanted beer. There's a company called Rebrew, it's spelled R-E-B-R-U, in San Diego. And what they do is they buy extra beer. They buy unwanted beer. 
so this is beer, and in in the pandemic time, this has really been a, a big issue. Um, a lot of beer has gone to waste. I know it's because it did not come into my hands. But in all seriousness, what's been happening is uh, breweries and their distributors have been, uh, you know, having the problem of warehousing old beer. You know, beer, just like everything else, anything you buy at the store, it's got a date on it. It says Best Buy, right? Beer is the same way. It's Best Buy some date. And once it's past that date, you can't sell it. Now, if you have it in your house and it's past that date, that doesn't mean it's bad for you. It doesn't mean it's gone bad. It doesn't mean that uh, it's go- it's dangerous. But what it means is, as a retailer or a distributor, you cannot sell it. So what this company does is they buy up that uh, sort of, I, I want to say spoiled beer, but it's sort of probably on the edge of being spoiled. I doubt that there's much wrong with it. And they distill it, and they turn it into gin and vodka. So it's a great way to reuse that beer. Everyone gets a, a little bit more money. You know, the distributors get to, and uh, breweries get to uh, maybe cash in on some of that, uh, some of that uh, inventory that otherwise would go to waste. The other side of this is let's say you do just say, I'm going to, I'm going to take a big loss and pour out all my beer, like however many barrels of beer, because it's it's getting to that age where you can't sell it anymore. You can't just pour it out. You know, there are uh, there are laws about what you can put into the water system. So let, let's say, for example, if you or I are in the backyard and we're drinking a beer and we knock it over and it spills into the grass, it's not a big deal, right? Well, if you're a brewery or, you know, any sort of uh, company uh, like that, a manufacturing facility, and you pour your product into the, into the land or into the water system, that's technically, in most places, probably illegal, unless you have already arranged to do it. And that's because it's industrial effluent at that, at that point. So this company, it's saving the environment a little bit beer by beer and it's making something that's a consumer product gin and vodka so uh, it says here uh, uh, oh I can't find it now oh here it is Uh, to date the San Diego distillery has processed over one and a half million pints of beer formerly destined for landfills so yeah, you know, it it takes it out of the water system, takes it out of the groundwater system, where it could be poisonous in those concentrations, and uh, it turns it into a, a consumer product. I mean, how does that not help everybody? Go check them out, Rebrew Distillery in San Diego. I have a meeting in San Diego scheduled, I think, in 2026, so I'll put that on my calendar to go visit them and. Ah, geez, probably I won't because, you know, that's too far out. Someone else will be doing it probably locally here by then. I feel like Paul Harvey here. Chapter 3. A new class of performance beers is taking a page from Gatorade. You guys don't know who Paul Harvey is, do you? 
Am I just dating myself here making that reference? Anyway, back to the story. Uh, there are new performance beers here that are sort of like Gatorade in the sense that uh, they help you rehydrate and they help you uh, get some electrolytes back in your system. Uh, so it's the idea is, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen this, and I, there are a handful of breweries in my area that sponsor a running club or a bike club or a yoga class or something like that. You know, and these are athletes who uh, you know, really you know, have a good workout and then they need something to rehydrate and they go to the brewery. Well, I mean, that's awesome. I, I love that they do that. But what would be even better probably is getting more electrolytes and water back in your system. And so, so there are a number of breweries that are doing this. They've got the uh, beers that are specifically for people who are working out. And this fits into uh, sort of a, an interesting category that's uh, in the beer industry that's that's gaining a lot of traction right now and has been for the past couple of years. Uh, there's a lot of uh, low alcohol, no alcohol beers, and you know people are very uh, fitness focused right now, and not just uh, because you know fitness has sort of come back in uh, you know into fashion, but because uh, you know there are young people who are concerned about their health. You know we've all been out of work. Uh, a lot of us anyway have been either been out of work for a year, or we've been working from home for a year. You know, when I was working from home, my commute was from uh, bed to my desk to my couch, you know, and there's in where I work, you know, it's 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 hairy here. I'll tell you what. I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which is a beautiful city. But my neighborhood, you know, walking to my neighborhood during the day is fine. But walking to my neighborhood once the sun sets, you know, down once one end of the road, it's fine. The other end of the road, like people get shot and stabbed. So, uh, you know, if I don't get out during the daylight, I'm not getting out. And so people are looking at these at drinks to satisfy something that's going to help them stay fit. And this is a great development, I think. And this article, again, all the articles I'm referencing here are listed in the show notes. And there are a bunch of them you've probably seen on your store shelves and maybe even tried. My favorite one here listed is uh, War Possum by Mispillion Brewing Company. And this is not a low alcohol beer. This is a 5% uh, ABV. It's tart and sour. Uh, and it's uh, it's got strawberry lemonade flavor. Uh, and it's full of electrolytes. So, again, there are a bunch of them listed. Go check them out. You know, if you're an athlete, if you like, if you enjoy beer, but maybe you don't enjoy beer after a run because you need to rehydrate, Check out some of these options and uh, let us know what you think. Next headline, Treehouse Brewery aids new brewing foundation. So there's a new foundation called the Michael James Jackson Foundation. Yes, that's Michael Jackson. If you're not familiar with Michael Jackson or you're suspecting maybe this is the one who said that uh, Billie Jean wasn't his lover, that's the wrong Michael Jackson. This Michael Jackson is a, uh, he was a, a beer scholar and writer and just a fantastic person. And he passed away, gosh, I, I want to say like 10 to 15 years ago. And there's a new foundation uh, named after him. 
And this foundation is a grant-making organization that funds scholarship awards to black and indigenous folks and people of color within the brewing and distilling trades. It kicked off in November of last year and is chaired by the great Garrett Oliver, founder of Brooklyn Brewery. And Treehouse Brewing, uh, which I think is in southern Massachusetts, near where I used to live in Worcester. You know southern Massachusetts. Beautiful area. Central southern Massachusetts. Anyway, Treehouse Brewing recently donated $40,000 to the the foundation. And that is just fantastic. Think about all the people who are going to benefit from that. And that is a level of support that maybe is going to get other uh, breweries interested in donating and maybe even larger breweries than Treehouse. So I'm really hopeful for this. And the, the thing about, you know, why, why do they care about black and indigenous people getting involved in the, in the brewing and distilling trades? Uh, there's a phenomenon, and it's not hard to figure out, but a lot of people don't get it, that if you have a more diverse workforce, you get better decisions being made for business. It's just true. Think about, let's say we get uh, 10 people who are all the same in a room and we're trying to figure out what to do next. Because we all have the same background, we're probably going to come up with similar concepts and ideas for what to do and how to do it. Now let's say we bring in a handful of people who maybe have a different background, whether it's uh, racial or eth- eth- uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds or uh, you know, gender backgrounds or what have you, name it. Uh, maybe different nationalities. You're going to get a different set of options to choose from, a different set of ideas being brought forward. And that's where the value of diversity comes in. Not to mention, it's just good to know different people. And it's good to be good to other people. And it's important to provide opportunities for other people, even if they don't look like you. So anyway, that's, a, again, another uh, Carl spouting off about uh, business principles lesson. So that's, that's all the uh, business news uh, for this week. Many thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Mr. Joel Weaver. If the name sounds familiar, it's because he is my daddy. Uh, Mr. Weaver, I think since we're doing business together, uh, I, can, I should call you that. But in all seriousness, uh, he's a hell of a guy, and uh, he's the one who taught me uh, you know, something about beer when I was a, a lad. And not too much, though. You know, Don't anybody call the cops on him. He didn't give me beer underage often. And, uh, and seriously, Dad, yeah, I, I appreciate your support. And, you know, any, any sort of uh, shout out you want me to give to a brewery or to maybe whatever business you're about to start. I don't know what you're supporting me for. I'm 50 years old this month, but I'm not going to ask you to stop. So anyway, I love you and uh, keep loving beer. I had a fun talk recently with uh, Dan Fale. Dan is a beer lover, and we're going to listen to him in a few minutes. He's also a professional speaker, 
And he talks about really interesting topics like authenticity and vulnerability and the power of these qualities in one's life and in business and in school and in just personal interaction. Fascinating guy, this Dan Fail. Uh, he, uh, he, he is, like I said, a beer lover, and we started out talking about beer, and the idea was to keep talking about beer. Uh, we just rambled on for like an hour and a half. So I think it was a fun conversation. I hope you'll give it a listen. Uh, maybe uh, it's something you could fall asleep to, or it's something you can put on while you're driving, or uh, while you're maybe wearing those invisible earphones in uh, whatever business meeting you're sitting in but hope you enjoy he's a very interesting guy of course happy to be here you know anything to talk about craft beer and, and other good things i'm i'm all about <laughs> <laughs> well wh what do you have what are you drinking it's just water it's just now five o'clock and i could do the whole five o'clock somewhere thing but i felt like i shouldn't because it's only five o'clock <laughs> you mean so, so your five o'clock is like my noon, like, oh, it's, it's only noon. You know, I probably shouldn't have a beer, but I'm drinking <laughs> it anyway, apparently. I mean, it's been a long, all right, if you're, are you, are you, are you cracking one? Well, yeah, I'm an American. I okay, thought you were, oh, where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. So you're, you're technically an American, so you should be having a beer. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go get one. I'll go get one. I'll go get one. <laughs> Thankfully, it's a small apartment. All right, all right, all right. There we go. This is just going to go down way too smooth. <laughs> what is it like? Uh, a Corona light or something? Oh gosh, no. So uh, no, so it's from Monkish, uh, and so Monkish oh. does really, really good um, hazies down here in Torrance, California. So this is a double IPA, double dry hop, double IPA. Oh, nice. And it is. What are the ones in this one that they used? I think it's cashmere. I've discovered is one of my favorite hops. Um, oh, really? That one and Vic Secrets, just they're so smooth. Yeah, I don't I know. Vic, you said Big Secret. Vic, like Victor, Vic Secrets. Oh, Victoria Vic Secret. Secret. I was like, oh, Big Secret is a big secret to me. <laughs> I've not heard of it. Yeah. Okay. It's so good. Once it's like. It's like a Frank the Tank moment. Once it hits your lips, it's just so good. <laughs> now, what did you crack? What did, I saw a dark one for you. This is a uh, Coco Mostra by Aslan Brewery. And uh, it's right down the road in Alexandria, Virginia, about a mile away from here. Okay, yeah. It's an imperial stout brewed with cocoa nibs, Mostra coffee, and toasted coconut. Oh, the Mostra coffee. The Modern Times out here did a, a Mostra coffee collab and it was, it was decadent. It was heaven in a bottle. And I'm sad that I only got one because I was like, well, sometimes it's hit or miss. So what is Mostra coffee? How is that different from Dunkin' Donuts? Well, I think Dunkin', this is, might be controversial because I'm not from the Northeast. I think Dunkin' coffee is garbage. Um, <laughs> and so don't tweet me on that. But... <laughs> So I, I used to live in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, and uh, like there was, I remember there was one intersection where there was a Dunkies across from the Dunkies. <laughs> literally, I mean it was it was a like Starbucks highway, but still, like you could literally drive from one to the other. 
Yep. My, one of my, so um, anytime I drive to my ex-wife's house, there's a, it's usually a decently busy intersection. Mm -hmm. But then of course the LA city planners were like, hey, this is a vacant lot. Who would like to build something on this lot? And there was already a Starbucks on the opposite corner of that. So I was like, good. There's no way they'd do two Starbucks. So Chick-fil-A <laughs> was naturally like, oh, that's a small enough lot that we'll totally take it and yeah. have a line that now comes out into one of the main thoroughfares of traffic. Yeah. Uh, Chick-fil-A is good for that. You know, just backing up traffic with their... I mean, they're efficient, which I appreciate, but there's always a line. There's, there's just, you know, there's things about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as much as I, I don't, I don't like Chick-fil-A because of their anti-gay stat, but you know what, you know, what's delicious is homophobia. It turns out, (laughs) I swear to God, you know, like I won't go there, but if you say, Hey man, I'm coming over, uh, I'm I'm in line at Chick-fil-A. You want some? I'm like, yes. Yeah, I'm not going to say no, right? Like, <laughs> and so what's funny is my kids are, are like, well, I mean, we really like Chick-fil-A, but like they donate to bad causes and they're nine and 11. And oh, I was wow. just like, you're right. But the waffle fries though. Um, and like, I just need another fast food restaurant to copy the waffle fry. I know. Uh, no, but what's hilarious. And so I made Chick-fil-A style nuggets at home because really they just soak it in pickle juice. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons like they stay juicy. So there's this whole like how to make the Chick-fil-A sauce mm-hmm. and how to do the breading and the stuff. But I did um, chicken strips rather than nuggets, soaked them in pickle juice and then did the breading and did all of it. Wow. So good. Now, it wasn't exact because I'm sure that there's some magical stuff in the oil or whatever, but it was, it was still pretty good. Well, you probably didn't have enough hatred in your home. I don't think so, right? Like I, I'm pretty accepting, so I feel like that that it it made the oil boil at a different because uh, <laughs> we're already in hell. So maybe because we're going to hell because we support those who are you know that that identify as LGBT. So it's you know I, it, who knows. So you're but your kids liked it, right? Or did you just say screw it? You're having burgers. I'm having this. No, 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 no. I mean, like we'll all go. Um, every now and then rarely are they like, Hey, can we like do Chick-fil-A? And it's usually just because it's convenient and there's no line, which is a rarity when there's a no line at a Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Um, And not on a Sunday either. Right. (laughs) There's never a line on a Sunday. There's never. Yeah. Fascinating (laughs) enough. They, they're just, you know, Jesus is with them through the drive-thru. There's just never a line. It's great. (laughs) No, it's, uh, I, I'm appreciative that my kids at least understand that that social activism um, yeah. and they've started to question like, you know, dad, where, you know, like, where do you, what companies do you like? What, why do you like them? Um, um, and when I was talking to him about buying Nike stock, um, not that I was telling him about the stock market, but I was just kind of like, oh, there's like the Colin Kaepernick stuff. And he's now with Nike. And after that commercial, I call up my financial guy and I was like, I want to buy some Nike stock. And my kids were like, why? I was like, okay, let's talk about social justice in a nine and an 11 year old type of a frame of mind <laughs> since yeah. they understood. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, I'm thankful for the school they go to because they do a good job getting them to understand diversity. Um, you know, still some work to do, but that's the human race right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, when your kids had the uh, chicken nuggets that you made, what beer did they like that went with it? <laughs> uh no beer but i did have some leftover chick-fil-a sauce and the barbecue <laughs> sauce so at least they were able to dip and feel like it was 
Chick-fil-A-esque. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't know how the you know drinking kids works. I, I don't have any children, so I'm just I'm just like living a, a life of uh no consequences and and you know everyone gets beer here. So yeah, your beer budget is probably much higher than mine. Um because <laughs> I've got to like buy groceries and snacks. Um yeah. and kids but, need clothes. I don't know what that's about. I literally just had a bag of clothes shipped, uh bought some stuff from old navy, and I was like, Well, they keep growing. I need that to stop. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, you should make them like bonsai children or something. There's, you know, I, it's helpful at least because in LA, there's a lot of the like, um, with some of the various shelters. And so any clothes that they outgrow, anything that I no longer wear, anything like that, I just donate it to any of the shelters that need it. And there's some, a couple of different shelters that I really like to support. Um, so like one of them helps LGBT youth who have oh, been yeah. kicked out. Uh, of their home after they've come out and so all my clothes that are interview style clothes they really need and so I donated I don't even know gosh this was I mean this is pre-pandemic um, maybe like a month or two prior to that but I just took two or three bags of stuff over and thankfully none of that would fit anymore because of the pandemic the COVID-19 pounds uh, yeah. that I've also put on <laughs> It happens though. It happens. So yeah. tell me a little bit. So Carl, help me understand. So uh, in, in terms of, you know, what you do, the podcast with everything, is it just kind of like grab a beer, talk a bit, like let's have some cool convos. So yeah, everyone I've talked to so far for the podcast, which I think is one other person, it's been uh, yeah, let's grab a beer and then talk to uh, you know, this, this other guy I talked to talked about music a lot. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, so yeah grab a beer, have a, have some fun. I'm mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are worse things. Here's the thing. I feel like this concept uh, is, is so needed right now. And I think this is why, I don't know if you're familiar with clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, I just got on. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think one of the reasons that that has gone so well is twofold. One is that they made it exclusive, right? Cause that's how Facebook started. That's how a lot of this thing started. Yeah. With making it exclusive and then slowly opening it up. Um, I think that did part. And then the fact that the pandemic, I think people are starved to talk to other people. And now you're starting to see the successes play out um, of just the networks. Like I've connected with some incredible people all across the world that our circles would have never overlapped in real mm -hmm. life. And so I think that's part of it. And so even sharing a beer and, and talking yeah. about whatever is just... It's nice because it's not just your standard friend group where everyone's venting or it's not just the like, hey, let's celebrate these one things and that's all we're going to talk about. Yeah. So it's that ability to really connect and hopefully over some good things like delicious beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, we need that. And I think we needed that before the pandemic. But, you know, you don't know until you're, you know, you, your three friends or your 27 friends that you always see or whatever, you know, they're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you just can't go see them. Yeah. Or, or you can't go to the, uh, to the owls club or the elks anymore, or, you know, whatever, uh, or, or church, you know, religious organizations. Like you can't, I mean, I don't know what the situation is now. Apparently I just revealed that I'm not a very good religious person, but, uh, but, you know, like you can't just go to church or go to synagogue. It, it's such a hard thing or, or, the, or the mosque or whatever, um, you know. Well, and it comes back to the community piece. Like I didn't realize how much of a hugger 
I was of people until you're just not around people anymore. And so uh, this month is usually, February is usually like conference month for my world. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm usually on the road half or half or more of February. And it's seeing friends that I only see once a year, twice a year at different conferences. And to not see them uh, from basically from now, because LA went in lockdown second first week of March, second week of March yeah. in 2020. So I haven't <laughs> seen anyone in so long. And I'm like, I'm hugging everyone. As long as I get consent, I'm <laughs> hugging everyone like that yeah. I see at this point. Uh, like be prepared. It's going to be the like, bring it in moment. <laughs> um, just because we need that. I mean, as, as humans, we're, you know, pack people. And so mm -hmm. to strip that away, um, or be respectful of the like, well, here's the thing, and we shouldn't really be doing this, uh, I think has been has been fascinating. And I think sociologists could spend a like a full doctoral dissertation or more of just looking at the pandemic's effects pre post of what society looks like or things that came out of it and why it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's case studies galore. Oh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, 20 years, what are, what are people going to be saying about this period? You know, yeah. both well, ac you know, academics and just armchair people and and people who lived through it like us and people who lived through it uh, saying, I don't have to wear a mask. Are they going to be, you know, are they going to be justified all of a sudden because they didn't die? Yeah. Well, and it's, so it's fascinating too. So my daughter uh, for her social studies class was reading um, oh, I forget the name of the book, but it's about the Twin Towers falling. Oh. Um, Ground Zero, I think is the name of the book. Um, but it, uh, and so she, you know, she was talking to me about it and I was like, well, help me understand the story. And so, you know, it's the plot point of, of one boy who was in the World Trade Center when the first plane hit and then another girl who's living in Afghanistan when the, the towers collapsed. And so they're, they're two stories. Mm. Um, and so she was like, well, you know, but this all happened well before, you know, me and, and she was like, and probably you too, right, dad? And I was like, no, <laughs> I remember a hundred percent where I was, what I was doing, like how I found out what I did the rest of the day. Um, like I, I remember all of that. Yeah. And she just couldn't fathom it because it's, you know, 2001 seemed so long ago. Uh, and I think that's going to be a similar one, right? Of my kids might remember this when they're 30, 40, 50, mm -hmm. but it's just going to be like, oh yeah, that was a weird school year. <laughs> yeah. That, and that, I wonder how that's good. I mean, I think that that's something I've been talking with other people about is, you know, how will kids remember it, you know, and, and even younger kids, you know, so the kids are five now, will they even have a concept or like, I'm thinking about like my childhood. I remember one summer I was really sick, but I, it's not something I really think about. Mm -hmm. You know, I was sick for a while and then I got over it and, you know, went back to school and, and had a childhood, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and I wonder if it's going to be like that. Like, yeah, that's something that happened, but yeah, it, it wasn't really a big deal. I'd be curious. And I would assume that, so like my direct family has not been impacted by COVID. Mm -hmm. I would think families that have been impacted that have lost a family member. I mean, obviously that's a significant impact that shifts the family dynamic. Oh Yeah. So I think you're going to have those 
what two to two or more camps you're going to have the the camp of the the kids who grew up and nothing happened with their family and they're going to be like oh yeah i remember that year it was a weird year um because we weren't allowed to go to school for something i think you're gonna have the other camp that's like yes i lost an uncle i lost a grandparent i lost you know whomever from this and then you're gonna have the other ones that are like yes but the vaccine gave me the 5g chip and now the government is tracking me um, but it was a fake pandemic to get people to get the vaccine, right? Like, I think those are going to be your three camps of people, sadly, the third one. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? I, I just got my microchip today. Oh, nice. Well, Congratulations. The microchip. Apparently, there are two of them. Yes. Well, yeah. One's the booster microchips to, so you can get better Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, well, that, my favorite... actually, I oh, might sign up for that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> right is this the like uh what uh, the, the spot like uh, oh my god what's it called like the hot spot i'm now a wi-fi hot spot because i got the vaccine yeah um well my favorite so far is when people are like well you know it's bad and the government's gonna chip you and da, da, da. and i was like oh okay like out of curiosity do you have a cell phone <laughs> well yeah who doesn't have a cell phone i'm like okay cool um and then just separate question um do you have like a facebook or an instagram or, or twitter or any social media oh well yeah ever you know i've got all of those okay so so you're already being tracked yeah <laughs> like you yeah. knowingly went in for that and and clicked the user agreements that no one ever reads but like you clicked those and said yes i agree to the terms and conditions and here you are congrats mm-hmm Oh, exactly. You know, and, and honestly, at this point, if you have all that stuff, you know, you, you might as well give up. I mean, that's a little defeatist, but at some point you're like, well, how do I pull my privacy back? And I don't know how you would do that, except get rid of the cell phone, never interact on Facebook, which is a lot of people think is necessary, but I, I, I've given it up before and would gladly do it again if I if pressed, <clears throat> but you know, it, you have to cut so many ties mm -hmm. to figure out how to disappear. Well, and it's the, you know, if you have a laptop that's connected to a grid as mm -hmm. is all your, and so it, I think it's just a matter of, yeah, I don't even know how to get that private. Like the people who are like, oh, I've got these privacy settings and all, like I can go into Facebook and, and create privacy settings so that you can't see anything from my past or, you know, whatever. But um I, th I think it's just a fascinating approach to what it looks like. And I've yet to watch, uh, oh my gosh, there was the Netflix um, documentary. Oh yeah. Um, um, social media. And I was like, I'm worried because then I will just take my kids' phones. I say phones. It's really just, they've got hand-me-down iPhones and we've never given them a phone number, but we let them like hop on all the stuff on Wi-Fi. Yeah. But if I watch that, I know that I would be like, and you lost your phone. Yeah, right. Why? Because dad's now paranoid and you've lost your phone until you are 22. Congratulations. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, dad doesn't want you commodified at such an early age. You have to wait a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and and all my accounts are public, just given what I do. I'm a, I'm a professional speaker. And, you know, when you talk about authenticity and vulnerability, if you have fully private accounts, that feels, for me, it feels different um and so uh it feels inauthentic so like i'll have pictures of me and the kids and stuff like that but i think the the true test i've got another speaker friend and she was like yeah it was fine until my neighbor's kid was wound up on a you know like a, a site for pedophiles and it was like oh, oh my. that's not okay like that i feel like is the extreme version of don't go out past dark why because you could die like i feel like that is a similar extreme version but it's yeah. still very serious 
Um, and so I, like, I know that I would have this like guilt if that ever happened. And so I hope it never does. Um, but it's also incredible what kids are exposed to. I mean, like mm -hmm. we took away my daughter's phone for a little bit because she was using TikTok. TikTok, not that big of a deal, but TikTok before it was TikTok was uh, Musical.ly. Again, China, mm -hmm. China owned business Musical.ly. It got sued out of existence and then rebranded itself as TikTok. I mean, it's basically what it was. Yeah. Um, but they fixed some of the backend user stuff because my daughter had Musical.ly and they would post videos, you know, with their friends or whatever, but anyone could slide into the DMs and make comments and, and do all, and it was, or it wasn't sorting by uh, appropriate levels. So if you were just scrolling on TikTok, all of a sudden you could come across some not appropriate content. Oh my. Right. Um, so yeah, it just, it was fascinating um, to, you know, history of all the things, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, so you, started. Something, yeah, you're a professional speaker and I know one of the topics you talk about is like you mentioned authenticity and vulnerability how do you address vulnerability uh with a group or maybe with an individual someone who uh is maybe has to be there for work like they you're hired for the company but uh this guy just oh, yeah. crossing his arms He's like, screw it, you know, I'm, I'm putting in the time. I got to get back to work. Yeah, um, that's most of my audiences. Uh, <laughs> I say that. So, um, yes, professional speaker, a vast majority of my audiences are college students. And so I've had some corporate, you know, I've done some stuff at the U.S. Army. I've done stuff with Hulu and, uh, you know, a couple others. But on on my end, I am primarily do a lot of college students. And so there's, you want to talk about, conversations they don't want to have it's my stuff uh so um right so i'm talking about masculinity i'm talking about leadership and failure i'm talking about vulnerability authenticity i'm talking about creating better conversations and relationships so most students or some of my other keynotes specifically are the intersection of alcohol and consent no one wants willingly to truly go to hear someone talk for an hour on alcohol or consent or sexual assault prevention or right like no one willingly so most of audiences are exactly like you were saying crossed arms don't want to be there chip on their shoulder i've had a couple of audiences this was 7 p.m at night and there were dudes in the front row shades on and then because they were in the front row they propped their feet on the stage oh my god in a masculinity keynote so you better believe my authentic self was like, <laughs> cool, I appreciate you broing out and pretending that you don't want to be here by prop by kicking your feet up and showing disrespect. Um, that's cool because I've already been paid. So like, you're the only <laughs> one kind of looking like a tool right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> right? Like, so I think part of it in terms of how do you break through the chip on the shoulder, crossed arms group, I'm of the opinion that stories connect us. And so if you and I, so if I start to ask you some questions and you share a story and then I can share a story, that's this concept of, um, you know, being able to connect on a deeper level. I'm not going to come out and be like, so Carl, um, what's your biggest fear? Yeah. <laughs> like no one ever starts convos that way, or if they do, they they start awkwardly when you start them that way. But I think that if the, if you can tell a story and it gets people to let their guard down and laugh or emote 
then those crossed arms, they might stay crossed, but they might lean in a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or if you if you say something that perks them and they're like, wait, this guy's supposed to be talking about alcohol uh, and what not to drink. And he's talking about a time that he got really drunk. What? What is happening? And so I like to bring them along this journey of, you know, let me tell you some stories and let me get you to laugh. And then I'm going to like get you in the feels. And then let me tell you some stories to laugh a little bit more. And then I'm going to hit you in the gut with some good facts and some like statistics. And then I'm going to bring you back up. And so it's this fun little W approach of how do we get people along? And because I think if you start off and you're like, well, Carl, 70% of Americans uh, struggle with imposter syndrome, which can negatively impact their relationships, their work environment, et cetera. That's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> like <clears throat> you can get to that stat, but if you start off that way and if you're just going to present, like it doesn't feel engaging. And on my end, um, it's just not my approach. It might work for other people. It just doesn't feel the right path for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of that is sharing the stories, get them there and then get them those information, get them those nuggets, and then follow up at the end where it's the like, okay, I've told you all of this. Now, what are we gonna do with it? And so it's that action piece. So, you know, I'll have students come up to me afterwards or even participants come up to me and they're just like, hey, this was, this, this didn't suck. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and in my end, when you're working with 17 to 22 year olds, that's probably one of the best compliments that you can give. That uh, of like, hey, this didn't suck. and oh my gosh, you know, my friend is like you or my friend has similar experiences. How can I get them help? Or, um, you know, what what can I do differently now? Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that you're like, yes, I got through. This wasn't horrible for them. Um, you know, I had a great time, but at the same time, like they got something out of it. So that's been, I think, the most helpful of how to frame it. And that's just, again, my own approach. Yeah, that's really pretty fascinating. So you, you really have to, I imagine you have... Um a stock set of talks that you do. So you probably have like, and, and I'm sure you're framed for different audiences and stuff, mm -hmm. but you really have to spend a lot of time crafting that. And, and almost like a, uh, you know, maybe as, I, I, I'm sorry to make the comparison, but like a stand-up comic, mm -hmm. like you, you go and try something and it crashes and burns. And, uh, and then, so you have to sort of retool and, and, mm -hmm. and like work on the fly on, on some other strategy. But a stand-up comic could give one set with one audience and there could just be that that thing that just doesn't click and mm -hmm. you bomb. But you could do the same set for an audience an hour later, different audience an hour later, and it, you could just crush it. So some of it is is feeling and vibing out that audience. You know, and in a virtual setting, it's much harder to do. Oh yeah. I found that people are more engaged in the chat and asking questions than in person, but the screens are off, mics are off. So as someone who likes to tell stories and get them to laugh along the way, I'm like, pause for laughter. No. <laughs> oh no, there's no, okay, no screens are on, right. Okay, all right, um, thank you for the one person who has a screen on and you're not, you're just, <laughs> like this is, this is not helpful. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a different, I mean, like the virtual setting is a very different feel, but I think in the stand-up world, uh, and I got a couple friends who do stand up, but in that stand up world, you feed off the audience. That audience yeah. interaction of just the give and take, even laughing at a bad joke or a dad joke or whatever, feels like it pulls them in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a different feeling on a virtual uh, stage. So, 
I, I like it. Don't get me wrong. Virtual is kind of nice because I can be in sweats and a nice top and you'd never know. Um, <laughs> but I think that's part of the uh, the overall struggle of, of speaking is getting through to people, but then trying new material. A lot of the stuff that you'll try as a speaker, at least on my end, we try at conferences. So we'll do like a breakout session. We're like, okay, I'm going to try this one story as opposed to my standards and see how well this works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fun because it feels like it almost gives you the oh my God, I'm giving a speech for the first time. And it's those, it's those jitters that you just kind of get all the way. Yeah. Um, and I still get them a little bit. Because uh, I, I think if you don't get those jitters, then it's then something's in you isn't moving you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry. you, uh, so how did you get into this line of work? I mean, it seems like, this is something where you, you just, like people said, wow, you're, you're really good at drawing folks out or, or do you have like a, a, a background in um, maybe counseling or psych- yeah, psychology? Yeah, a bit of everything. So um, for 15 years, I worked in higher education. So oh. I worked with fraternities, sororities, student organizations, taught leadership development classes, um, did a lot of that work, worked with alumni and, and regional groups. And um, one year or one spring, I think, one of my friends worked at Cal State Northridge, which, and I worked at Loyola Marymount. So I was in LA and so, you know, eight miles away. So it's only like 45 minute drive. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And he was like, hey, Dan, like, um, could you come up and speak? Like, we we don't have a big budget, but, you know, I'll give you $800 if you come in and speak for my students for an hour and just how to be good and, you know, how to live the values and and not be horrible, you know, humans. And I was like, wait, you're going to, you're going to pay me money to hear my thoughts. Like I get to create this based off what I think I want to talk about. And I was like, well, yeah, cause you're, you're good and you're engaging at, at conference sessions that I've seen you do. So like, why not? Cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how it started. And so <clears throat> For the next year, uh, he brought me out a couple different times. And then I was like, well, this is a lot of fun. I like doing this. And so as a side hustle for probably like 10 years, I was a full-time campus administrator. And then on the side was a speaker and doing workshops and all of that. Uh, and then about three years ago, three and a half years ago now, realized I was not happy in my job. Um, more so because we were in a cubicle and I realized I'm not a great cubicle person. Um, and my boss and I had different philosophies on work-life balance. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, I was like, you know what? It's time for me to move on. Uh, I had a couple of really cool contracts lined up for that fall. And I said, you know what? I'm just, I talked to the, um, an agency that I was with, a speaking bureau that I was with. And I was like, I'm going full-time. Let's make it. Let's do a big launch. Let's go full-time and, and, ha- and if not look back, you know, I mm-hmm. think the pandemic made me look back. Uh, of like, hmm, what's income feel like? Because <laughs> when you're a public speaker and there is no public, things look different. Um, no and doubt. so that was certainly one of the harder pivots to do. And I I was one of those that did not quick pivot. Um, I curled up in fetal position for the better part of six months to mm. mourn and to just be like, what is going on? And why am I doing this with my life? And after I pulled myself out of the pity party, it really became the, okay, it just looks different. Like it's still, it's all the same stuff. It just yeah. looks, it feels a little different right now. Um, and what I'm trying to do with, with students and with organizations and teams is everything looks and feels different right now. But what we can't do is go back to the way things were. 
So we can't wait for the new, like I want a new normal. I don't want the old normal back because yeah, the old yeah. normal still had a lot of issues. Um, yeah. Old it? normal still kind of sucked in a lot of ways. In, in many, many ways. Yeah. Who was it? It was, a, um, the, was it the CEO of Goldman <clears throat> Sachs? Uh, I was reading an article, I think this morning, where he said that um, like he can't wait for everyone to come back. Like he wants everyone back in the office because people are lazy at home. I mean, like basically made a lot of assumptions, but I think you would look at a lot of businesses that are having better results. And so I think that that comes from a very uh, C-level, corporate level, you know, white collar, you've got to be in the office in order to be productive, et cetera. And that philosophy just, I'm hoping doesn't stick around. And I hope that we yeah. can retire that. Um, because you can have a really engaged team that lives everywhere. And there's some successful ones in associations that I know that literally no one like works in the same office building. There are one person's Chicago, one person's Denver, one person's, you know, anywhere. And I think that's the smart way to go. But the hardest part is keeping that the, the culture, right? The organization culture together uh, for the team building, the workshops. And do you still bring people together once a year, twice a year, that type of stuff? Yeah, so I work in the association world, um, and uh, so I totally get what you're saying. You know, we're we're knowledge workers. You know, we don't need to be somewhere. You know, except for when we need to come together to to figure stuff out. You know, we don't. It's rare that we need to be in the same place at the same time, mm -hmm. especially now with Zoom that's really taken off, and a bunch of other similar products. Exactly. Well, and that's the hilarious part. Zoom has existed before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> FaceTime existed before the pandemic. Um, and so just seeing everyone lean into the technologies has been, again, like fascinating case studies that you could do. Mm -hmm. So wait, wait, so with the association work that you do, tell me a little bit more. So I do communications, I, uh, networking, or uh, uh, in a lot of uh, bringing people together. I, I do... Um, uh, electronic newsletters and communications like that. I mm -hmm. uh, run a podcast for the association I work for. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, it's, it's all about bringing the members together and bring, giving them a platform to get in front of each other, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in front of the industry. So it's a lot of fun. That's nice. Yeah. Well, and so what have you seen in terms of those interactions? Like how have, how have you had to change those email communications, the newsletters, right? Like how has that looked different in the last year for you? Well, uh, one big thing that changed is we didn't have an in-person meeting last year. So all of a sudden, and we were sort of, I, I wasn't really for this, but our association uh, was saying up until about April, we're going to do it in person. And, and the, the meeting was in May. And I was like, we need to plan. Like we yeah. at least need to plan for not doing it in person we ended up doing it virtually and it was uh it was a difficult it was a hard slog yeah you know to do that especially yeah. sort of last minute mm -hmm. so i was working with um kiwanis so you because you, you mentioned the elks and and uh, you know the lodges yeah, i'm earlier. a freemason so I, okay yeah yeah um, i got a couple of uh fraternity brothers that are also masons um <laughs> with because it's fascinating with with kiwanis specifically they were trying to figure out, well, what is our, you know, international meeting now look like? Um, and so part of it was just kind of like, okay, what do we look like? How is it? Um, and I, they asked 
outside Kiwanians. So like people who aren't uh, affiliated with Kiwanis, like, hey, let's bring in some external people to give these workshops and to do all this. And mm -hmm. so they, they launched this, um, it's called Kiwanis Amplify. And so they're launching it in March or it just got launched, um, but like their first sessions or modules start in March, March, April, May. And then they're doing their big virtual conference. So it's a fun little lead in for mm -hmm. anyone and everyone around the world to watch the modules. And then if you can attend, you know, the virtual um, kind of convention, then you attend that one. Um, but I thought it was a fascinating way to engage significantly more members that you miss out on all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one where associations, you know, when you attend those meetings, you're only able to send one, maybe two people from your organization or whatever yeah. that might look like. And, and same thing with campuses. Ours was in December and it was, they finally at one point were like, no, we're just not going to do it in December. It's not going to be back to the way things were. Um, and it went virtual and they tried to do some stuff, which was really cool of like, Hey, we're going, we're still going to do a professional reception. <clears throat> cool. Like yeah. looks very That's different because cool. there's not a, you know, cheese platter somewhere, uh, no <laughs> conference chicken. I don't know if that's a bonus <laughs> or a negative, right? Like, I don't know which one, yeah. which how I feel about it. Um, but I think those are the the ways that I like the attempts of what has been tried. Because I've seen the ingenuity of people being like, well, let's try. Yeah, Let's try and see where it goes. And if it's a flop, then we can blame it on 2020 and a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Cool, right? Because no one's going to fault you for that. I got a, a buddy of mine who's a speaker and he was like, I'm trying all kinds of stuff in a pandemic. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to say, well, it was a pandemic. So it didn't work. <laughs> like what better way to try weekly webinars? What better way to try yeah. of like all this stuff? And, you know, I mean, a couple of his webinars had over a hundred people on them and he's just a free webinar. You know, the, the irony is that he just took one of his talks and broke it up into four parts over the course of a month and was able to dissect it a little bit more. And I was like, it's, it's genius. Mm -hmm. I was still in fetal position, but I would chime into like, I would show up to support him and I would be like, I'm just still here, but like hoodie on of like, don't look at me or talk to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Didn't do it. Yeah. Well, the, uh, I, I don't know if you know about it, the association, uh, the American Society of Association Executives, mm -hmm. uh, but they're, uh, I remember them and they, uh, this year or last year rather, they they canceled their meeting and instead of people paying i don't know how much it is a thousand bucks 800 bucks mm -hmm. instead of paying the regular registration they made everything free and they had it all online nice and so what they did is instead of relying on i, I i'm sure they still lost some money uh based on you know everything but uh so instead of relying on the on the uh the registration costs they they went out and pressed hard to get um uh, companies to exhibit in their mm -hmm. virtual hall and said, Hey, instead of the 6,000 people we normally get, we've got like 18,000 people signed up, you know, they're going to yep. be looking at your stuff or they're going to be looking at your competitors. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's funny about that. <clears throat> I literally hopped off of a zoom webinar for the national speaker association, the Los Angeles chapter mm -hmm. and Ed, Ed Rigsby, who is a um, yeah. CAE, um was was giving this like what are associations looking for and what's the future and what's the past and what you know all of that so it's hilarious that you bring that up um small worlds is what i'm hearing yeah <laughs> but, 
And that's, I think that's the fascinating part. So one of the conferences that I usually go to, it's the biggest student conference in the nation. Uh, it's 4,000 students plus professionals uh, that are at this conference at the JW Marriott in Indianapolis. And it takes over and, and goes into the uh, convention center as well. Massive people, you know, standing room only at so many of these 50 person sessions. Uh, and it's usually, you know, three, $400 to attend as, as a person as, to mm. register on top of flying out and hotel and all that. As a presenter, it was only $89 this year. They spread out the conference rather than saying it's a four day conference, like here's all the sessions. They spread it out over a month and they said, we've got, you know, pre-recorded content that drops every Monday. And we've got your live engagement sessions every, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, different times of the day. Yeah. I was like, a fascinating way to look at it. And I'm curious to know what the, the back-end engagement is um, of like, how many end users did we have? What were the unique views? All that kind of stuff. Just, I'm curious, because there are other conferences that did the traditional, we're going to keep it this weekend. Everything starts on Friday morning or Thursday night, and here, like, here's where we're going. And so they just kind of kept it that same time frame, but then made yeah. everything virtual. So yeah, I'm interested to see like, which one yields results. Yeah, it, it, we didn't get good results. I also work for, um, so I work for the moving industry. So the people come M O V I E moving, like I N G or I N G. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, not not some Hollywood stuff. Well, oh, I was, I, yeah, I started to get excited. I was like, "Oh, movie industry!" I tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you don't want to hear it. <laughs> I'm moving. I actually, I'm going to need those services potentially pretty soon. I might be moving. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's interesting because it's sort of a conservative uh, industry in terms of uh, people taking chances. There, there are a lot of uh, software. There's a lot of technology and stuff going into the industry, but a lot of people still. A lot of companies still have, uh, you know, paper forms you have to sign. They're going to take your credit card and rub it on the carbon form and stuff like that. You know, I mean, this stuff still happens. I, so I was working, sorry for this small tangent. I was working for a very prominent private school in the Southeast. Oh, well, that's all I will say in terms of that. <laughs> but they still use carbon copy paper. And I worked for them 2015 to 2017, like, still used carbon copy paper or when I would submit for like a reimbursement, mm -hmm. they would send a student from the register, not register, from the cashier's office in with like a manila envelope with like jing, jing, jingle, like change money in it. <laughs> and there wouldn't be like a reason of like, here's who this is for. And here's the amount and here like receipt, none of that. It would just be a, a manila envelope of money. <laughs> Wow. That they would bring to the office and be like, this is for someone here. I'm like, there are five people that work in this office. Who wants money? Like, what <laughs> Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Is it Was that that uh, surf school I saw on your LinkedIn page? No, <laughs> no it was not that one. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I'm from North Carolina, so I'm glad to hear it wasn't that one. But um, I'm from Wilmington, so I went to UNCW. Oh, no. okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. surf school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to NC State. Okay, Wolfpacker. All right, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. So the industry I work for, it's it's very conservative, and if you think about, when's the last time move the moving industry changed? You know, it, it, I think it was about the time trucks were invented. You know, and and the, and then after that, there were shipping containers like uh, that were invented in I, I think the early '60s, but like other than that. 
you know, to make, to run a moving business, you just need paper and pencil. You need a phone and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's very low tech or it can be very low tech. Yes. Um, so the, you know, a lot of people were not excited about getting on a, a, a virtual meeting with us. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. You know, that, uh, there, there's not been a lot of change in that industry. Who was it? So Darwin, um, like his whole thing of like survival of the fittest is actually misquoted. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause it, right. It's the, it's not the one that's most, it's the ones that are most resistant to change are the ones that go extinct. Mm -hmm. and the most adaptable to change are the ones that continue to survive. Right. And so like, that's, I think the overall concept of it, I'm sure there's more to it than that. Yeah. Um, I'm not a Darwinian other than I do believe in evolution. <laughs> I think that's about <laughs> the extent of it, <clears throat> but I think it's fascinating. And I had never thought about that other than companies that have come through like U-Haul and, and things like that. There's not really, cause it's basically still the same trucks from the eighties <laughs> yeah, I mean trucks, they're big, they're big cubicle things with engines and drivetrains. Huh. Well, now I want to know what the next iteration of moving <clears throat> could be. Well, I have a theory on that. I, I did a a um a presentation for uh, one of my MBA classes. You ever notice that you ever meet someone who's an MBA, they just gotta tell you they're they 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 earned that degree. It's like <laughs> a crossfitter. Yeah. Yeah, so so I have an MBA. I'm just letting you know. So okay, I, all right, go. Congratulations. I, I do CrossFit. I, I don't actually. I don't do CrossFit at all. <laughs> it's sort of the same though. But uh, so I did this presentation about what they said. Choose an industry, and it, it could be the one you work in. It just has to be. Uh, what do you think is the next thing that's going to happen? And Ooh, okay. so one of the things I or some of the things I've noticed are that there are fewer moves happening. Hmm. Uh, and especially internationally, uh, there are uh, people are moving less stuff. And I don't know about you, but uh, you probably don't have, and I don't have anyway, lots of family heirlooms like grandma's, uh, you know, the, the thing you store the china in, which is probably oh, yeah. like a, chi the, the a china cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't have like this luxurious side boy in my living, in my uh Yep. dining room or something you know with the punch bowl and stuff from grandma <laughs> you know so people just don't have that stuff and they don't want that stuff well and uh, i think i think i think you tapped into it right there they don't want that stuff right so i've got three little brothers uh my stepmother has this heirloom furniture um right so her family's from mebbin in north carolina mm -hmm. and it is gorgeous furniture i mean so my dad and stepmom completely had it all redone and so i mean it's looks stunning great condition and they're you know they when my grandmother passed away uh, on my dad's side, uh, they were like, well, you know, what does everyone want? And I was like, I I literally live across the country. They live in Nashville. Um, and I'm like, I literally live across the country. I'll take the like little China dolls, just pack them <laughs> and like I'll, for my kids, right? Like, yeah. um, like what, what are the things? And so, um, because it's also my stepmom, I was like, I don't want her furniture. Like, so when, you know, like, cause we're, they're starting to have some of those conversations. I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. It, it's not part of my quote unquote family. Um, but my three little brothers, they're all half brothers. And so I'm like, they obviously should have first dibs on oh, yeah. all of like my stepmom's family stuff. But that's part of it. I was like, I don't, I've got a, a bamboo, 
uh, sushi rolling mat from my uh, grandmother and a little wood carved dragon. Uh, she's Japanese. And so like the, that, those are the two things that I would consider my like heirlooms. Mm-hmm. It's because they're portable. And then when my parents are like, we've got all these boxes from your childhood. I'm like, great. I will come take a look at it and we will throw away 97% of that crap. Cause I don't want it. I got yeah. no, I don't know. One apartment, one bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. I got room for shit. Like, no, <laughs> there's a reason you left it there. <laughs> <laughs> like I left it there when I went to college and then I moved to California. So like, yeah. I don't want anything. <laughs> Sure, I'll take my yearbooks because I often want to go back and just relive those memories, but I've not looked at those in forever. Yeah, I threw away my uh, high school yearbooks about, uh, geez, almost probably about 10 years ago. I just, I, I got them out one day. I was like, I never look at these things. I'm not in touch with these people. Bye. I, I need to be where you're at. Uh, I need to, I need to be in that mental state of the Marie Kondo of like, this no longer brings me joy and it's okay to put it away and slash throw it away. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's funny is that when I left LA, I actually moved back to North Carolina for a couple of years, which is where the, the carbon copy paper school was, um, which was not that far from NC state. Uh, <laughs> don't tell me it was Duke. No, no, God, <laughs> that would be hilarious though. Yeah. Um, but like, my mom was like, oh my gosh, you're here. You're back in the state now. Let me bring you all your shit. <laughs> and I was like, no, thank you. And then she shows up and like, I had fun going through it, but I also felt like, I, and I tossed some stuff, but I felt like I couldn't toss it all. And I think when I move this next time, um, cause I actually went to look at a place yesterday. And so I might be mm. moving in the next month, maybe two, I don't know because now's the right time to move because, you know, silver lining of a pandemic is that some people have moved, bought houses because it's been cheaper or like whatever. But anyway, I'm like, I could, I could legitimately throw some shit away now. Like now yeah. is the time to throw stuff away. I just don't know how to mentally prep for that. I feel like I'm a pack rat in some instances. Yeah. So getting back to what I was saying, mm. the, uh, so people don't have that crap anymore, right? Mm-hmm. and you don't want it and so what that means is that so if i i'm looking around, now you can't see my place obviously but i'm looking around and there's very little here that i would box up and take if i move let's say i was if i'm moving across town it's one thing but if i move in let's say to uh bangalore or berlin or something you know mm-hmm. somewhere with a b um you know I, i'm not you know, some someplace overseas or a different Bangladesh, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not. There's very little I would take. You know. Mm-hmm. So here's my theory: is that moving companies have to get in touch with companies that make furniture, specifically 3D furniture. So imagine I I go to uh, you know IKEA's got all those same stuff all over the world. Mm-hmm. Imagine I go to IKEA and I say, I want this couch. Uh, and I want it delivered in Stockholm when I get there on uh, May 31st or late May or whatever I tell them. Yeah. And they say, okay. And they, they put it, they print it out and people are already doing this, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they have the, the cushions for it. And, um, you know, it, it takes absolutely no space in their warehouse. They print it out, you know, maybe it's there for a few days while it's curing or something mm-hmm. and they deliver it locally. So I, but, and I don't know that 3d printing is the right technology, but 
you know, hook up with conceptually, that all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't exist today. Make it exist, deliver it to my new place. Yeah. I wouldn't take any of this shit. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like looking around. I'm like, I don't even know that I want to move in most of this cross town. I literally (laughs) had the thought of like, I'm going to sell my couch. I'm going to sell my fridge. I'm going to, because this apartment in LA has a refrigerator. That's unheard of. Um, Yeah. That's one of those weird regional things. Like if I went to rent an apartment here and there was no refrigerator, I'd be like, where the fuck's a refrigerator? Someone steal it? It is. I will say that you have like, in terms of, and this is how I know that I will have like arrived um, in LA. Granted, I've lived here for like 15 years. Um, (laughs) This is when I know I will arrive. When I have a washer and dryer in my unit, when it comes with a refrigerator and a dishwasher, those three things, you made it. Like congrats by LA standards. You're, you're here. You're done. You're great. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Not there yet. Yeah, yeah. The, I've heard of the uh, the refrigerator not coming with the place, and you got to buy a refrigerator, bring a refrigerator. To me, that's sort of like uh, it's one of those weird regional things. Like, you know, some places uh, you you can't sell a house if you don't have a garage attached to it. In other places, you can't sell a house if you have a garage attached to it. You know, it's like these yeah. weird cultural things, and I don't know if it like it happens after you pass over enough desert. You yeah, know? depends on which part of the the flyovers you're you're around. Yeah, uh, but that's I mean that's also <clears throat> what's fascinating. You know, like anything with a yard out here is unheard of. Um, mm-hmm. My ex wife is in a house and uh, with the kids, and that that backyard is massive. Like by LA standards, it's a, a mansion of a yard. Um, you know, I mean, it feels like it's an acre. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I mean, it's like maybe a thousand square feet of a yard, but I mean, again, because there's a front yard, there's a backyard. I mean, like th- there's a paved in half court basketball that uh, the pre- the prior owners like just put up for their kids. And I mean, there's just space. Uh, and I told her, I was like, you can never move. Like based off what you pay for here and the fact that landlords in the last eight years have never raised your rent more than a hundred dollars total. I'm like, you can't, like you cannot move. Uh, and so she kind of knows that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I said, or if you do move, I get dibs on where, you, where you're living. Like, I <laughs> um, but it's, it is part of it of, of where you're going to move and what that looks like, because I do think you're onto something with moving of the ease of moving. Clothes. You don't really need to take a lot because you just buy wherever you're going to move because there's chances there's a different climate unless you're, again, like city moving, like, right? Oh, yeah. Um, like I own winter jackets. I have very like, like heavy winter jackets. Well, excuse me. I have winter jackets that by like the Northeast measures are considered windbreakers, mm-hmm. uh, and super cute. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's not a winter jacket. I'm like, that is, you know, well, bless uh, your heart. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got like, but I do have good Southern winter jackets that are, you know, good. They're wool. They're heavy. It's a good pea coat, you know, nothing like <clears> super fancy, but by, I've not worn any of them since february of last year <laughs> yeah because you've probably not been outside you've not seen the sun you know it's yeah, i've seen i've got windows i see the sun <laughs> i don't know that i've gotten a lot of my vitamin d comes from when i have the window uh driving to my ex-wife's and then from my ex-wife's like that's basically the vitamin d that i get right now yeah um but you know like the weather's great this week of, of just being able to walk around and do a lot um 
I'm helping a lot with the homeschooling and home learning for, mm. for the kids, but all of it's, all of it's new, all of it's different, but that would be a fascinating, I'm now stuck on this. What would moving look like? Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, how much stuff you would, oh, I mean, obviously you're thinking about it now cause you're, you're going to be moving soon, mm-hmm. but um, you know, what are you going to take? What's replaceable? Yeah, if like, you were moving across the country or to another another country, how much stuff would you take? Well, you know, and that's so when I moved from North Carolina to California the third time, <laughs> um, I loaded everything up in a U-Haul, uh, like everything. I think I sold my couch because I was like, oh, I'll just get a different couch because I'm not sure what space I'll have in a living room, et cetera, because I had a big couch in North Carolina because you can afford more space. Yeah. Uh, and so... I think that was the only thing I sold that one. And then I moved everything out here. And then I realized, oh, my bedroom set too large for anything I'll get out here. So I had to sell the wardrobe, the bed frame, the bed posts, like all of it. Um, and I just like, I'm kicking myself for just not selling it back there. Like yeah. the washer dryer. I had a washer dryer that were mine. Nowhere here has one unless you're in a you know much more affluent area of, yeah. oh yeah, we've got washer dryer hookups in unit. But usually if there's a hookup in unit and you're paying that much, there's already a washer dryer in the unit. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It's sort of like if you buy a celebrity's mansion, it just comes with the furniture. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like I, mean, I want to buy Rocky's thing and have the Rocky statue as it greets me every every morning <laughs> and afternoon when I drive in at the, the roundabout. Yeah. Like what do you what have you know, who buys uh, Britney Spears old house? You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, like 26,000 square feet or something. And, and you're like, oh, my God, I got to buy a bunch of furniture now. I guess I'm going to Ikea all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's when if you're going to buy that, you buy the 3D printer and then just print <laughs> your own custom furniture for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but, how, it, often, how often do you ahead. get back to Wilmington? Oh, not often enough. Um so my, my mom lives just south of Wilmington uh, and my, uh, my, like I mentioned, my dad and stepmom live um, outside of Nashville. I, I was actually out there for work in August, September. Uh, and so was able to, I was at East Carolina. Um, oh, yeah. And so I was able to pop down for a day or two, got to see family and, and do some of that. I'm not back enough, but Wilmington in and of itself, like would retire there. If UNCW, you know, is hiring, I would be like, yes, that would be a great possibility. Yeah. Totally do that. Um, and a lot of that is just like, love the area, love the town, um, you know, college town, but not, and it has grown so freaking much. Uh, but yeah, love it. Wish I could go back more. Yeah. I, I have a, an old friend, the guy, when I contacted him, he didn't even remember me. That's how good friends we are. Super good it, friends. We are super close. No, it's it's a fellow. He owns a brewery down there called Mad Mole Brewing, which is I think a little bit north of the city, north of. Okay. Uh, but but it's still like he he's got a Wilmington address there, and he um, uh, but he has a very distinctive name, and so I I was when I was looking to open a brewery, I I saw. Uh, this guy with the same name and he's in North Carolina. And I'm like, there can't be two of these people, you know, with the, with that weird ass name. And, uh, and I, I emailed him, I, I found the company, I emailed him and uh, 
I said, hey, you probably don't remember me, but I think we went to uh, middle school together. And, and then, I mean, think about how many people you know from middle school that you're yeah. in touch with. And uh, and he, he all of a sudden gave me a call like a few days later. And we talked for about an hour or so. Haven't talked to him since. But if you go down to uh, Wilmington again, <laughs> Mad Mole Brewery. Mad Mole. Yeah. M-O-L-E, Mad Mole? Yeah, like the animal. Okay. okay. Or, or the thing on your skin. I don't know. It, Which, take your pick. Interchangeable. Whichever one you want to drink more. I don't know how that works. Well, and that's where I realized. So in terms of like the brewery landscape, I realized I'm so incredibly spoiled with some of the breweries I've access to out here. Um, so I think I had even in our messaging, like I'm a member of the Modern Times group. Oh, yeah. And that beer, like I'm 100% spoiled with that beer. Um, so much so that I'll go to other breweries. So I literally one opened up, um, maybe 200 yards from me, 300, maybe a brewery. Um, but they don't do a lot of fun experimental stuff. Like I like the, like, give me a funky stout. That's got adjuncts that are like, why would you put this in here? Um, (laughs) but that tastes good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> or and and it's a good brewery. It's by LA standards, it's cheaper on the beer, so you can get a, a six pack of different beers, mix and match for sixteen bucks. By LA standards, that's dirt, dirt cheap. Yeah, um, for a brewery, and they can it all and do it all there. And I think that's where, like, good beer. If I'm going to go out and like work for a couple of hours on their patio during the day, Modern Times I love because their menu has. 20 something beers on it and it's the gamut i mean you want a good sour you want a good lager you want something you want a a, you know a a table beer you want i mean i literally go and i'm like i'm just going to order flights and so i order a four flight then i'll order a six flight then i'm like well i'm drunk so i need to take the train home (laughs) all of that you might as well have another four flight if you're already drunk but you know, some of these things, I mean, like they're taster pours, you know, standard taster pour, but it's an 11% or a 13.5% stout or a barley yeah. wine or something. And it's like, it's like, okay, like there's been times where after one six flight, I'm like, okay, I'm, I need food. <laughs> <laughs> and what I like about the modern times here is that there's a kitchen, uh, which is one of the few modern times breweries here on the West coast that has a kitchen attached to it and does everything. Mm-hmm. So, but like, I think I mentioned like Bottle Logic is mm-hmm. in COVID traffic 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. In non-COVID traffic, it's like an hour, hour and a half. I was going to say, that's um, probably like half a day in non-COVID traffic out there. Yeah, it's bad. Um, <laughs> but Bottle Logic's super good. And then they've just expanded and done some cool stuff. And I think that's where I like to explore. And um, a buddy of mine and I were trying to find different minority-owned businesses out here. And we were like, got to find minority-owned breweries. In the entirety of Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, there are three minority-owned slash operated breweries. That's it. Now, is that in the city or is that in like what I would call Los Angeles? So there's LA County, which is stupid big, like massive. And then so I would say like city, uh, right? Like you've got downtown surrounding areas all the way to Santa Monica. So like beach to East LA. Yeah, it's still a, a big area by LA standards, um, or by any you know general standards. But um, like three, and one of them was uh, Latin owned, one of them was black owned, and one was was female owned. Uh, and it was like, was fascinated that that was it. Um, 
I, I saw some stats recently and I can't remember the exact number, but something like of all the breweries in the U S I think one or 2% of them are black owned mm-hmm. or, or I think maybe it was person of color owned. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know, even if it's, let's say that was black owned and then other people of color, like that's not coming up to 20%. No, you know, by any means. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's like maybe going up to 4% or something. Yeah. And I think that's where, um, but like the one that we went to, so we went to one and we weren't super impressed and this is during COVID. So we were like, what, you know, POC, uh, or, or BIPOC places can we support? Um, and so like, where can we go? We went to one and we were like, "Mm, the beer's okay. You know, we we bought, it was, we couldn't taste it because it was still, it was COVID at that point. And so it was like to go only. So we were like, well, this one sounds good. This one sounds good. We'll go and we'll grab it and we'll just drink it later. Cool. We drove to another one he and I had never been to this part of LA. Um, and so, you know, we were like, where in the hell are, we didn't even know this part of uh, like a town existed. Uh, and it was like Southeast LA, um, which really on a light traffic is only maybe 15, 20 minutes from where I live right now. Um, and so we walked in, we were the only people there other than the two bartenders. And we, you know, we were like, Hey, like, are you guys open? Cause all the stools were still up. Like they hadn't set up anything. We were like, Hey, are y'all open yet? Like, we're not sure. And they were like, Oh yeah. You know, like we opened in like five minutes, but come on in. So mm-hmm. we were going, just chatting them up and everything. And I was like, so we're here because there's this horchata stout that you have. Oh. And so I am very curious about this horchata stout. And they were like, it's one of our best sellers. And I was like, what are the odds we can try it first? And the guys were like, I mean, we'll use the plastic cups and just toss the plastic cups. So that way we're not, you know, sharing cups or washing things that have been infected. And we were like, okay, I don't think you're supposed to do that. Um, but I, we like tried everything. I had a cucumber lime goza that was wow. mind blowingly good. And I've not been back, but that one, like the horchata, it was a horchata gold stout, absolutely delicious. Um, this one far superior, like this cucumber lime. I was like, I don't know how I like it. Thank goodness I sampled it. I would have never bought it in a four pack. I was like, I need a four pack. I'll be back later <laughs> for another one. I was like, I'll take their horchata one. I took one of their like blood orange. Uh, I was like, yeah, like all of the things I bought more because we were able to taste. Um, but I think that's just going to support those places is important. Number one, and breweries in general, like LA's just now started to open up their restrictions on breweries. They weren't allowed to be open even for outdoor uh, seating or anything. Like you had to have a fully functioned kitchen and most of them don't. And they weren't allowing a food truck to serve as the kitchen. Yeah. Politics, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't pretend to know any of that. Yeah, yeah, I just read an article um, and this is about uh, Virginia particularly about how a lot of wineries and breweries lost out. I mean, a lot of restaurants did, you know, Mm -hmm. in this whole time, but especially the breweries and wineries because of the whole thing about a kitchen, you know, so you're, so you're not a, you're just a brewery. Well, you're not a restaurant, you know? And and I'm like, dude, you know, you got the same sort of setup. You got people coming in or not coming in, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting outside, whatever, you know, and, and you're serving them something, you know, why is that different? So there's a local, um, one of our representatives, state representatives is uh, making a big stink about it. So that hopefully that's going to get cleared up. Yeah. 
Well, and that's the thing, like my uh, co-working space that I belong to has had super weird restrictions, but they don't serve anything. They literally <laughs> just open the doors. Hey, everyone, like they rearrange their stuff, sit six feet apart, wear your mask at all times. They had to be closed for three quarters of the year. And yeah. it was like, but literally they have some of the best safety precautions, hand sanitizer at every table. Like, and I, I worked there for a little bit and it was like, wipe down everything. I, I literally worked there for three days and then they had to re-shut down. Yeah. So we like opened up, it was like the summertime and we're like, we like opened up for a week and it was like, oh, just kidding, just kidding. Everyone's closed again. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then they have to do the Lady Macbeth thing and like scrub everything and. Yep, out, out, damn spot. Like it was just a lot of that. Yeah. It's not happening. The spots are still there. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? You know, it's it's not a hand contact thing mainly. It's a breathing thing. And hey, could you just stop that for a second? Yeah. And we're going to take turns on the breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my turn for the air. All right, great. <laughs> I get the next I get the next 10 seconds. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating at all. Like I'll be happy, like I said before, like I'll be happy when we move forward from it. I'm hopeful that we don't forget a lot of the lessons that we learn. And I'm also realizing that like the face mask and maybe this, you know, not to be political because I don't think it should be political, but like a face mask, I'm realizing is the ultimate sign of respect. <laughs> of yeah. Like I care about humanity, therefore I'm wearing a face mask and I'm wearing the face mask, not to protect me, but just in case I got something like I'm going to protect people around me. Uh, and like, it's for that, the common good. Um, which again, it's, it makes more sense. The more that I see people from Japan or China, they're always in a mask. Part of it is air quality, but a majority of it is no, like this is about, if you're not feeling well, wear a mask because it's about everyone's safety, not just your own. Um, yeah. And that's but, an old, an old tradition. I mean, I don't know how old I had a friend 20 years ago who uh, had to go to Japan for work and he was telling me about that. And of course I had seen pictures on TV, mm -hmm. but uh, he was telling me, you know, if you're there and you feel sick, you put on a mask. And he said, so I just decided I want to see what it's like to wear this mask all day. So he puts on one of the masks and everyone's like, oh, I hope you feel well soon. All right. I hope everything goes OK, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's why I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. Like masks have come a long way. Yeah. Uh, and like the fact that you can get like a five pack, very comfortable mask. I'm like, I got a big head. I got a big noggin. And so the, the regular, like little ones make like Dumbo ear me. Right. And so yeah, they just right. pull and hard, but like, I've got the other ones that are big enough and they're like the fabric and they're still the full protection. I'm like you can get those for five bucks. Uh, and so like, I don't feel like it should be that big of a deal. And it's really not that big of an inconvenience. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy those businesses that turn people away of like, no, if you're not going to wear a mask, can't come in. Like, I understand that it's your American right to not wear one. It's our right as a private business to not allow you in. Yeah. I was in a, a business, this is a, maybe a month ago, maybe not that long ago. And uh, this guy had, he had the mask over his chin and I yelled down the aisle, cover your face, old genius. <laughs> I felt like a dick afterward, but I mean, I'm like 50 yes, years old. I, I agree be with you. Was, people in public. It's a dick. <laughs> well, but like, you don't walk around with your balls hanging out. So why would you do this? Like, well, this maybe. is not helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yep, I'm with you on all accounts on that part. Um, <laughs> I think that's where I'm seeing a, a lot of the like the larger divide. So in terms of you know what I do in terms of speaking, helping people connect and helping people relate, that's where I love using some of these analogies or using some of this of how do you feel about other people? Are you curious about their past? If you are, be curious. But usually it's so freaking transactional to where it's like, hey, Carl, what's up? And you're like, I'm fine. I'm like, I didn't ask how you were doing. I said, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> but we're so conditioned to the quick responses that mm -hmm. we, I don't, th I think at some point we've stopped caring about people's response. And it's just more about like, okay, but let me give it to me real quick. Like, cool. Like, how are you? Because let me tell you about how busy I am. And then all yeah. of a sudden we're in a busy, like pissing contest and no one gives out a badge for being the busiest, right? And so like we compare and we do all this, but we've stopped, in my opinion, we've stopped being curious about each other's histories about, well, what do you do? And like, well, and I, I got so many questions. I know I already know that we're at like, for my time, we're at like 6.11, but um, so we've been going for 71 minutes, <laughs> but it's one where like, I got like, what made you want to do this? What, you know, like what brought you from North Carolina to Virginia? Why are you doing this? And like, what got you into beer? What's your favorite beer? Like, I got lots of questions that we didn't get to tonight. <laughs> All right. Let's do a lightning round. Ask me a question. Oh shit. Okay. Uh, favorite beer type. Uh, all of them. Next no. question. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I like a, I, I really like these new, um, yeah, the new England IPAs. Mm -hmm. I really, I enjoy those because they're creative. And you know who I really like? Do you have um, a dogfish head out there? Oh, we can get it. Yeah. So I know I, yeah, I've had it yeah. before. So dogfish head, they've got actual bars out here. They're based in Delaware. So it's not that far away from the DC area, but you can, they've got restaurants and bars here. And I love going in there and trying whatever's new. And most of it, I don't care for, but I really love that they do all this crazy shit. Like they're the first ones probably to use lemongrass and coconut and it's like a Mai Tai and you know or something like that and I'm like oh that's really that's really good and interesting but uh, I'll just have the IPA you know <laughs> I have the I'll have the brown again you know mm -hmm. uh, I really like them I like trying different things I'm actually putting together a um, a set of um, uh, beers for some friends locally uh to to taste i'm trying to get all barley wines 12 barley wines Ooh, okay and that's been a tough uh prospect so that's they're, they're not as popular as they once were and i'm not sure not, they ever were man they are good um <laughs> damn now i really want a good barley wine um okay i feel that so what's interesting so when i hear new england ipa I, I, my taste buds already go like, oh, pine, like super hoppy pine. And I don't like the super hoppy pine, mm -hmm. um, but that is the traditional, or correct me if I'm wrong, but that is the traditional style of like a New England IPA. No, the New England IPAs are the juicy ones that taste like uh, grapefruits and uh, oranges it, and stuff. Aren't the, are those the hazy boys, right? Like yeah. the ones that are, oh, yeah. what the, the freak am I? I'm thinking West Coast IPA. Though. You're thinking West Coast, yeah. So, so like you open your mouth while cutting the grass. That that sort of <laughs> sensation. Like like I took I I, yeah, I, I really like got winded and then I, I inhaled grass. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Um, I okay, yeah, no, I don't like the West Coast style. Um, yeah. yeah, I do love the good hazy boys, the good juicies, right? Like the ones that have those again, like I like I mentioned the the funky adjuncts of the like mm -hmm. who would have thought to put black tea cinnamon 
and guava in this yeah whatever in the same thing and and, and i yes i like that stuff okay um what made you so originally from north carolina is that it? uh mostly born in ohio raised in north carolina mostly got it and so is that why so you were in north carolina so that's why you went to nc state yeah what then made you want to get the MBA? Was that job centric or was that you being like, I want to be able to talk about my MBA to others? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm too fat to be doing CrossFit. <laughs> I think the CrossFit community would be like, that's why we should do CrossFit. I don't know. <laughs> one of the friends in my like happy hour group is a CrossFitter. And so she's always like, well, in CrossFit, I'm like, no one cares about your book club in CrossFit. Yeah, right. You're literally only drinking in CrossFit book club just to drink in the CrossFit book club. You're not actually reading the book. She's not. Others might be. (laughs) And so I got the MBA actually a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, I finished. And I got it because where I work now, the association, they had an education plan. And I told my boss, I said, hey, um, can I apply for this? Um, You know, can I get some sort of reimbursement for education? He's like, yeah, up to x number of dollars and i said well what about this uh, scholarship we have for members can i apply for that he said yeah it's eligible you're eligible as a as an employee for the industry um you know the uh for the for the scholarship and so i started doing the math and i didn't go to harvard or something you know but i still have the degree it's like it's like chef paul prudhomme's uh, mba school or something <laughs> you know it's not not quite that but uh yeah. Yeah, you know, I found I found an online program that had uh, you know I could do the classes on my own. I didn't have to travel out of state to do anything, and mm-hmm. and uh, it took two years. So yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, and it was very affordable. See, and that's well, who was my my ex wife just told my daughter yesterday. So the the kids' school is planning their like big summer trip twenty twenty two, because obviously this summer they're like no we're not doing it. Uh, and it's to Panama, and um, my daughter has to pick between summer camp uh, for two weeks or this eight-day trip to Panama. And so my daughter asked me, and I was like, honestly, I think that travel, I, this is a great experience, and you'll remember it. Like, I still remember going to, to Paris and to, um, and to Spain, um, or to France and Spain uh, in high school. I'm like, so like, these are good experiences for you. Yes, I think you should do it. And my ex-wife goes, I would rather you just travel than go to college or grad school or anything. And I was like, well, let's not go like super, super far. (laughs) I wanted to travel and see the world, but in a sense of like, see the world that there are other customs, that there are other cultures and not move away for six months to be like, hey, I, you know, I'm gallivanting around. I'm like, we're not that, like, we live in LA, but we're not those LA people. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. Cool. In terms of travel, have you traveled anywhere in the U.S. that you have been like, this is the the best spot that people need to be? Albuquerque. Really? Why Albuquerque? So my my ex-wife and I, I'm sorry, my first wife and I, it's a long story. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we we decided uh, one day, uh, I had some time, I had some vacation time and I cleared her with my boss. And uh, she said, let's, um, let's take a long weekend somewhere we've never been. And so we went on, I, I don't know what sites were there, Travelocity or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to go somewhere this weekend. Here's my budget. Where can I go? And I don't know, half a dozen things came up. And, and uh, we picked Albuquerque. And 
I've never been out there before. You know, I'd never, I'd never really seen the desert except in the Wiley Coyote cartoons. And, uh, and so we get there and it's just stunning, stunningly different from anything I, I'd seen before. And, um, and we spent the other weekend and then a couple a few years later, she had a conference there. And so we spent a whole week mm. and uh, I, and I just loved it. You know, I love the, the, you know, you could see the mountains, but they're really far off and, and you could see, <laughs> yeah. and, and other mountains were close, turns out, mm. <laughs> you know, but the, <laughs> but and there's a lot of flat land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most That's of it true. was brown. I, I'm not selling it well. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you should a travel agent is not in your future. I hate to break this to you. That's just not, it's not it was, a thing. It was gorgeous. Just imagine brown and featureless. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> That's all. Have you done any external, like outside of the U.S. travel? Yeah, I've been to Thailand a couple times and to uh, London and I mm-hmm. uh, traveled around Norway a little bit. Okay. Any, were those all just for funsies or for work or anything? Uh, London, well, for me, it was fun. You know, all these were uh, travel for me. And my wife had a, uh, a conference, uh, first wife, sorry, uh, had a, a conference in um, London and she had a conference in, or something in Bergen, Norway, mm. uh, different times. But yeah, the other times were uh, more or less just me traveling around. I went to Thailand for about three weeks to become a Buddhist monk. Okay. How'd that yeah. work out? I uh, didn't do it. Hey, here I am. You know? uh, yeah. Yeah. Long story. There's a whole book about that, but uh, I love it. Yeah. It, it was fun though. It was beautiful. Okay. So that's one of the, like, I think, I think we need to travel more. I think that um, as a society, uh, especially as Americans, I think we need to travel more. Um, one of the, the cooler experiences that I've had has been in Canada, um, have met just some incredible people. And I'm like, how do more people not travel to Canada? Um, and some of them do, right. It's like British Columbia or like Vancouver or like, it's like, oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot more. I think that's some of those interesting trips and just people I've met. Um, I was in Edmonton. Oh gosh. 2002 maybe um but like loved it out there it was really cool like the largest mall in north america is in edmonton so of Mm -hmm. course i had to like drive by it and take a look um we like walked through part of it and i was like all right i'm good (laughs) i've seen the the mall of america but i'm like "Mm, i'm kind of good with i'm good with not walking all of it um yeah but there's some i mean there's cool parts in the u.s too st louis i think is really cool there's a a funky museum in St. Louis, I think it's in St. Louis. Um, and it's just like all kinds of randomness. There's a giant three-story slide. There's a human-sized like hamster wheel. Uh, or it's just like all funky things. That's sort of like uh, my job, I think. The, <laughs> the right, but there's, like, there's this outdoor, it was closed when I was there, but it was this outdoor like net that you could like crawl through to get from one wow. story to the other. And it just went out like over part of like fast. It was just, a, it was a cool spot. Um, I think those are just the, there's little nuggets here and there. Uh, and after driving the country for multiple times, moving from North Carolina to California, California back to North Carolina, North Carolina back to California. Um, 
one of the things I did when when I was because I was a member of AAA or am a member of AAA. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I called up and I was like, look, on your website, this is too hard for me to figure out, but I want to know what are the random spots along Interstate 40 that I need to stop? Like the world's largest frying pan. Where is that in relation to, a, is it like a three hour detour? Is it an eight hour detour? Like where are those spots? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like Mount Rushmore is another really cool one that people should see at some point in their life. But South Dakota is not really on a lot of people's bucket list. <laughs> no, but if you say Mount Rushmore, it could become on people's bucket list. Exactly. Well, exactly. Right. And then they're like, where is it? Oh, it's South Dakota. That's not easy to get to, which they're right. Um, yeah, but it's further south than North Dakota. I mean, it's closer to being on their path. This is right. Um, it's south, so it's obviously got to be warmer. Yeah, it's um, like near Tennessee, I think. <laughs> Super close. <It's> so close. <laughs> you should you should be a tour guide and someone who helps people with directions. <laughs> yeah, I'm practically a professional geographer. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. There's just I. I'm of the opinion that we we have to, like we have to get out more. You got to see more of the world if you stay where you are. And I'm thankful that I never just stayed in North Carolina. I'm thankful that oh, I yeah. was able to move out. My first job was in Indianapolis uh, where I went to grad school was in Northern California. I mean, like just being able to experience more, I think has made me at least appreciate what I had and then mm-hmm. be thankful for what I have. Yeah, you know, international travel changes you. I mean, it, even I think to Canada, you know, we think of it as America's hat, but, uh, you know, uh, I spent a, quite a bit of time over the years in Toronto and uh, been a few, a number of other places too, but uh, like Toronto, for example, and I don't know if this is still true, but uh, for a long time, it was the most international city in the world in terms of it had more other nations represented than any other city in the world. And in fact, it used to be, again, might still be true, that it, they had, there were more Italians in Toronto than in any other city in the world outside of Rome. What? Yeah, so like more Italians than, uh, than like Florence. <laughs> well, Florence, so Florence is super small though. Yeah, I'm not- like, I was shocked about, when I, I went to I don't Florence. Know. I'm, I'm an ugly American. I don't, Florence, that's like in South Carolina, I think. Oh my God. Right. Like I'm going to go to Athens, Georgia. <laughs> Georgia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but that's, so like Florence was one and I had to be there for work and I loved every second of the two and a half days that I was there. But Florence, I was shocked. I could walk from one side of the city to the other in 20 minutes. Wow. You know, but like at six, two, it's long strides, but at the same point, yeah. You could walk the whole thing and it was just fascinating to see all of that and then what's funny is that i found myself and i don't know if you this was your experience in london when you were there but i was walking through london and even florence too and just seeing everyone just like you know like i'm on my phone i'm just gonna look and like do you know whatever and i'm like people there is history around you like why are you not looking like this building is older than america why are you not looking at this like these streets have literally been around since like england yeah <laughs> you know it's a, a, and i, I wonder because i think we do the same thing um right like you you see you take it for granted i lived at the beach school for four years and really didn't go to the beach all that often um <laughs> right and so i think that's just one where 
you take stuff for granted uh, too often. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that stuff, and I, I don't know if this is true, but you know, imagine your second grade field trip and they say, oh, here's the, uh, the building that was, you know, it's one of the few buildings that survived the great fire of 1666. And, uh, and over there's the, uh, uh, you know, aqueducts that were built by the Romans, you know, when they invaded and I don't know, like ass long years ago. And uh, you should know, also be a historian. We're going to add to your resume historian uh, here. Mr. Weaver, when was that built? I don't know, a long fucking time ago. I don't know. Let's just keep Not walking. the last yeah. decade, but we're good. Yeah, yeah it could have been like 15 years ago. I don't know. Let me call Dan. Dan's going to know. Dan, how old are the aqueducts? I don't Dan know. Dan's going to Google. Really, they're really fucking old. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more than 20 years. Definitely more than 20 years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, but I think that's part of the world, right? Like, there's like Japan is on my bucket list of places mm -hmm. I want to visit. Uh, Alaska is also. I've got four states. For the United States, I've got four states to go. Um, and so like Alaska's on my bucket list. Maine is on my bucket list. Um, you know, Maine's like really cold, by the way. It's practically the Alaska of the East. Yeah, I'm not, that's more of a, I'm going to wait until it's summer, summer, um, you know, where it's, everyone's miserable in New York. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, it's decent in Maine right now. Like they, yeah. that's in my brain of what would happen. Yeah. So Maine, Maine really has two seasons. It's like good skiing and then black flies. Yeah. <laughs> But I want to go, right? Like yeah, Maine it's is beautiful one. up there. Yeah, I've got Maine, Rhode Island, Montana, and Alaska. Those are my four states. Uh, but like, I want to go to Japan. Want to go to Greece? Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that I'm like, there's there's a world, and we don't make time for it. I'm also trying to pitch to one of the um, the national groups that I'm working with of like, hey, you have groups in Greece, and Paris, and London, or Oxford, in uh, Ireland. I think they need a consultant um, yeah. for like three days each. <laughs> and I think we, and I'm trying to talk to like the executive director of this group too, to be like, and you should come with me because we'll do the campus partnerships. I'll work with the men and, and with the groups of like how to be better. Uh, and then like, you can tack on time with your wife and then I'll just hang out and go like out uh, to different parts or like, all right, great. We're in Ireland. All right. I'm going to go to the Guinness factory. Actually, they would probably yeah. go to the Guinness factory too. Right. But like, I want to do all the things. And one of the things that I want to do, like, I would eventually love to take my daughter to like the Harry Potter tours of London and, and England, um, to do a lot. Cause she loves all that. And I'm like, I, that's what I want to do. I'm just not there yet. Cause yeah. apparently money is a thing that you have to have in order to travel yeah i think we should have socialized travel thank god we have a leftist president now oh god he's so left not really, <laughs> not really. uh he's not as right as the right as the last one was but he could uh, be a massachusetts uh, republican in a drop of a hat if he just moved there <clears throat> he's practically true. mitt romney but i'll take i'll take current administration over the last four years i mean if we're oh, gonna yeah. be honest about social policies belief the fact the fact carl the fact <laughs> that it has to be said that this administration will use science to guide us the fact that that has to be an actual statement of belief 
I'm just going to leave it at the heavy sigh. Like I don't. Yeah. So people who, and I don't mean to call it, I'm not going to use the term religious fundamentalists, but um, people who have extreme beliefs and believe that there's a, uh, a judgment day coming and they're not going to believe in science because they believe in God's will and God's will is that the world's going to end in a fiery blaze and they will be saved. They have no interest in saving the world. You know, I've like, never heard it put that way. Their, their best hope is that the world ends in a fiery blaze. Mm-hmm. Literally. I mean, they're like, that's, that's the proof that they're right and that their God exists. And uh, you know, if they, if they have any doubt at all, like that is the ultimate proof. So the extremism is is what's hurting a lot. Right. And so like, uh, you know, the, the terrorists from, you know, not all uh, Islamists are terrorists, right? Not all Christians are racist. There are extremists, (laughs) both groups. Uh, And and I think that's where a lot of the division happens. And that's what baffles me around this whole concept of, you know, the United States is founded on religious freedom. Literally, actually, like literally we were founded on religious freedom. Pilgrims were escaping religious persecution, landed on Plymouth Rock and right. And then like, you know, wiped out an indigenous population. Uh, That's a whole different history story. But like the fact fact that uh, it's the, where my fundamental, where my issue with religion comes into play, rather than faith, not faith, religion, my, with my mm-hmm. issue with organized religion is the, well, if you don't believe what I believe, then you are wrong. As opposed to tell me more about what you believe. Oh my gosh. Our faiths are very similar in concept. Great. You do you, I'm a do me. Cause most of the faiths say, be a good person. Yeah. Like, just be a good human. Treat others with kindness. Yeah, That's don't the be a vast majority of faith and religion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, once you have labels, it changes perception. Have you seen? Uh, speaking of labels, have you seen that Netflix show? How the states got their shapes? No. Oh my gosh, that one's another fascinating one. Um, of like, state lines are just random lines that someone decided to draw one day. Yeah, uh, And just to show you how much money goes into how the states got their shapes, you know, the little Minnesota, so Minnesota, right? You got a big, mm-hmm. Minnesota, you know, the little boot on the end of Minnesota. Yeah. A guy owned all of that land and was like, hell no, do I want to breed Oklahoma, Nebraska, whatever's right there. I forget which state that is. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't want to be that state. I'm a, or not Minnesota, uh, Missouri, sorry. All right. Like, hell no, I'm a Missourian, right? Like I'm a, and so he petitioned Congress and paid off uh, like the elected officials when they were drawing state lines. And that's why uh, Missouri has the little boot at the bottom because he owned it, paid off the politicians. And that's why that part is, is a part of the um, Missouri. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> It's the little things, the little things that you never know. And as a professional historian yourself, you know, it's some, t- some things that we just don't share with people. <laughs> yeah. yeah as, a, just... as a professional geographer and historian. 
I was I'm glad that you got that answer right because I was I was playing dumb, but I was just testing you. Mm. Got it. Okay. Whew. I then I passed it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Carl, this has been fun, man. It has, yeah. So tell me uh, what before we go, and I know you you've probably got to get dinner ready and stuff. Yeah, well, I just finished my beer, so like I got to refill while I make dinner or figure out what dinner is going to be. So what what uh, what's your uh, favorite beer? Fa- either f- favorite brewery or favorite beer? No, I'm not going to say either. Both. Oh shit! Okay. Or favorite style of beer, I should say. Favorite brewery. I'll start favorite brewery because that one's much easier. Favorite brewery, and I got to give a shout out to my friend Mark. Uh, is in Greeley, Colorado. It's called Weldworks. Oh yeah. Oh. So I have never been a, a sour fan, never a tart person, never a Berliner wise, never a, any of that. Um, Cause I'm like, why would I want my tonsils kicked in from like Jeez. sucking on a lemon? Yeah, I, I don't like most sours because I don't like the taste of vomit. <laughs> of yeah. my own. But, um, <laughs> but you know, some of them are actually pretty tasty. Oh, so I had a key lime pie sour from, from Weldworks and I could taste the graham cracker. I could taste the lime. Like I could taste the tartness of the key lime pie. Like it was mm-hmm. heavenly. And they do this uh, uh, like a Mexican ac- acromatica stout that is mm-hmm. just decadent on decadent. Um, and so that was one of my favorite ones because I think it was number one, the company, my friend Mark, who was like, you're coming to this brewery. Like we are going to this one specifically to get you good beers. Um, and then just the, it's just every beer from there has been great. Uh, their Juicy Bits, uh, which is their, you know, dry hopped IPAs uh, or double IPAs and, and hazies. And they just do a lot of good stuff. So Weldworks would probably be my favorite brewery with Modern Times being a close second. Mm-hmm. Modern Times main reason there is that I can hop on the metro, which is less than half a mile walk, hop off, walk another less than half a mile and be at the brewery in downtown LA. And nobody uses a metro except for you in LA, I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's gotten better. I mean, it's going to get a lot better. So like, because the LA, because LA has the Olympics in 2028, um, the commitment was to, was to pump like $8 billion into transit because thank Mm -hmm. God we need it. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I can hop on the Metro and be in the Santa Monica pier, uh, on the beach in 20 minutes. And I could go this way and be in downtown in 15. So I'm in like a pretty good spot. Um, and then I'm like, I'm going to move, um, (laughs) whatever. Uh, it's a pandemic. Uh, so modern times are the close second. And that's just because they do so many fun beers and it's a brewery that doesn't specialize in a type of beer. Their stouts are bonkers great they do barley wines every year or mm. like every like quarter there's a different barley wine or something but they're they're stouts they're sours they're ipas they're double ipas they're hazies their funkiness out the woodworks i love them plus they do their own coffee i'm a big coffee drinker and so love 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 getting their fresh coffee because they're a beanery and a brewery um my favorite type of beer seltzers Three. right yeah, it's the hard seltzers, the white claws. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of them, the white claws. Uh, super bitter. They didn't do a peppermint version and call it Santa Claus. Um, oh, right, that would have been good. That's such an easy like. 
I, I never thought about that. You know, like, it's, it's, it's the obvious thing. Low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that is one of the, the easiest things they could have done is the low hanging fruit of Santa Claus. Anyway, um, it was stouts for the longest time. It was stouts. And I think um, I have become a little bit more, I'm not a sour, like a true sour, hurt your mouth, like make everything like like sour yeah i do like a really good berliner wise now um and so more towards the tart side right of of the house because those adjuncts have to stand out you give me a good dark cherry with a like a tart aspect to it where it's got the sweet sour i'll mess with that um but i'll I'll always come back to stouts god i freaking love me some stouts and i got over i was hazy ipas for the longest time give me a good hazy but then I realized that a lot of them start to taste the same. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I'm like, I know I like, I know I like cashmere and the Vic secret hops. And then like, if it has those great, I'll buy it. If not, I'm like, mm, well, I'll try it in a taster. Right. I'll just get it. In a yeah. And go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look forward to tasters again. Around here, the places I've been the last um, many months, you know, I've not been a lot, a lot of places. But they're like, no, we're not doing tasters because of mm-hmm. the uh, the pandemic, but we're doing half pints. I'm like, so so you're really you're just like jacking up the price a little. Yeah, well, it's I mean, that, and it's the like, because all the the flights that they were doing out here at one point, they were doing the little plastic cups, so that way they yeah. weren't having to wash it and stuff. But I think they realized that those are real expensive. <laughs> and not possible so they just they scrapped flights altogether. every every brewery out here that i've been to at least has scrapped flights completely so yes yeah. i'm very excited i'll take that as the old normal that's one that i would like to continue on in the new normal um racism and kneeling on people till they die like that was one that i would like to leave there and like move on to a different new normal okay so you're anti-racism let me change my notes here about you <laughs> Yes, very anti. Um, I'm glad we got that straightened out. Yeah, now that we were, you know, an hour and 40 minutes into it, now that guess, we're fully clear on this. So I thought you're Dan Fales, uh, who's, who's one of the proud boys, but uh, okay. No, 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 yeah. no, no. Uh, no, proud man, uh, but not a, <laughs> not a proud boy. Um, although my favorite one with that was when the LGBT community took over the proud boys hashtag. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm here for that level of entertainment. You just say that right now. That level of petty and that level of like, I'll show you. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's there's a meme that I just saw yesterday. Oh God, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. Um, but it's like why spell check matters. Um, or why spelling and grammar check matters. And so it's a, a guy in a proud boy shirt, and it's proud boys. Um, and then at the bottom, it's supposed to say proud as fuck. But they spelled as with two S's. <laughs> oh, man. So proofreading. Um, yeah, not someone's strong suit for whoever <laughs> approved that. And then that he didn't catch it when wearing it. Right? Like, I would see that and be like, huh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah, or, or can you imagine, like, uh, you put it on, you're like, hey, how about this shirt? And everyone's like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
which would also happen. I would be that friend that's like, looks great. I think we're ready for the march now. Uh, like yeah. who's ready for the insurrection? Wear your proud ass fuck shirt. <laughs> yeah. You know, you should probably wear that for the, uh, when we're protesting the pride movement too. And uh... Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't deal with that. So yeah, I'm happy with, with leaving the racism and bigotry in the past pre COVID. Uh, sadly, we've still got more work to do. So yeah, anti-racist to a point. I'm an NCAA member, uh, right? So like, there's not a lot that I feel like I can do, but that's where I'll put my money if I can. You mean um, the the athletic association, NCAA? No, that's different. That's people who, that's white people who make money off of black people. The oh. NAACP. Oh, you said that's... NCAA. I swear to God you did. Did I? Re- N- NAACP. NCAA. Okay, good. Oh, shit. NAACP is where I'm a member. <laughs> oh my god now i like now that it's recorded i'm like i need to go back and like rewind this <laughs> it, it's what the I, beer talk and there are a lot of letters NAAC, out there i think i said i feel like i still said P, regardless the naacp is where i'm a member the ncaa i don't follow sports obviously <laughs> yeah Else. i'm not a i'm not a college a collegiate sports fan at all nor professional I mean, same on my end yeah you know, god bless you if you've got the talent to do that stuff that's awesome but i don't it doesn't really interest me so yeah i uh i don't have cable uh i made what's funny is that i made my my kids watch the super bowl like because you could watch you could live stream it and they were like why are we watching this i was like honestly because dad wants to see the commercials and then i'm hoping that tom brady loses um and i'm still not over the like deflate gate stuff and i'm like i'm because i'm obviously not from new england um which is why i can say this um but i just you know i'm I'm over the gronk brady stuff um although to take a losing team and make him super bowl champs there's a testament don't get me wrong i'm not saying he's not talented talented player talented athlete whatever right um but yeah i just don't have i don't care about sports yeah, but you know, you got to hand it to Tom Brady. I think he's the oldest player in the NFL. And he's mm-hmm. like uh, 44 or something. And to me, that's like, Jesus, I wish I was 44 again. You know? Well, and because he was the, wasn't it the oldest player going against the youngest, the oldest quarterback going against the youngest quarterback or like one of the youngest quarterbacks? Certainly one of them. Yeah. I, I don't keep up with it, but I, I'd read that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't follow it enough to like know stats or to care. And it's like, I was doing something. I was like, God, traffic is so easy right now. What's everybody doing? And someone was like, it's a Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, that's today. Okay, cool. Yeah, they, they, kids, let's watch it. Like, let's go, let's go do it. Yeah. It's part yeah. of their American education. Exactly. Right. Like, let's watch uh, a team named after a, a racist trope battle a team uh, that's the Buccaneers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Pirates. I mean, they might as well be Pirates, you know. Buccaneer is just a fancy word for pirate. It's 100%. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or profiteer, as, as what it was back in the day as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, privateer, yeah. Privateer, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. My ex and I tried to do sports at one point when we were together. And it was like, okay, who, like, who do we want to follow? And my first game was, um, first college game that I had attended was USC versus Notre Dame at USC. And USC was so mean. And I was there with a bunch of Irish people, uh, like Irish fans. And so the USC fans were so mean. It was like 45 to three. 
There was no like end like middle fourth quarter. There was no way in hell. And the SC fans were so freaking mean. I was like, you know what? College wise, I'm a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> I'll be a Notre Dame fan because there's there's standards, there's athletic standards, academic standards, right? Like I'll be a Notre Dame fan. Cool. Uh, I was like, professionally, I like Denver. Denver's got good breweries. Colorado's nice. I'll be a Bronco fan. Uh, and then I think that was like year three of Peyton and people oh, yeah. were like, oh, you're just there. Cause you know, they're a great team. And I was like, no, I just like the Broncos because I like Denver. Um, uh, and I wanted to like the shark or I wanted to like the Carolina Panthers. Um, cause they started while I was still in North Carolina, but the quarterback, their very first quarterback was a complete a-hole. I mean, like, like really? start to finish a dick, like, DUIs left and right and mm. they were covered up but they still made the papers like I mean just like not nice not a good person and so I wanted to be a Carolina Panther fan but I was like I can't I can't be the Carolina Panther fan. um and then my ex-wife was like well I want to do the which is the one that has the pirate ship in the in the stadium I was like well that's the Buccaneers she was like well that's the group that I like and so of course during Super Bowl she's cheering for the Buccaneers because they have a pirate ship in their stadium she knows nothing else about Tampa Bay <laughs> I don't know be able to point where Tampa Bay is in the Florida map. Well, like she likes Tampa Bay because of, of the pirate ship. Well, you got to have a reason, you know? Yeah. Better than just being like, I'll pick for whoever's against this team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. This has been fun, man. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out. And uh, I'll let you know when this goes on uh, the, on the podcast. And I'm glad neither one of us got too drunk. Hey, one beer. This is a, it's a lighter one. What was this one? This was a, what's the percentage on this one? I didn't even look. Eight and a half. Oh, that's not bad. This one, I'm sure it's on it. This is one of those cans where, like, I can't really read the writing too well. <laughs> this is like, oh my God. Like, do you need your glasses? That help? There it is. 16 and a half percent alcohol. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad I didn't just like pour through the funnel. That was, I'm like, at that point, that's basically a porter, like a port, like a yeah. port wine. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. Anyway, Dan, thanks for hanging out. I had a good time talking with you and uh, we'll catch up soon, I hope. Same. That sounds amazing. Thanks, Carl. All right. Take care. Cheers. All right. Bye, man. Cheers. Thank you for joining us at the Barley Hopper Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and we will talk to you next time. Cheers.